Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 on what happened to cause God to destroy man who he created. And we'll study the four parts to the awful and irreparable condition that man had created on the earth. We hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800-247-3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. Father, thank you so much for gathering us together around yourself that we might hear your word. And having heard it, Lord, that we might experience, Lord, that life that you spoke about. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Thank you, Lord, for this great promise as we open your word to study with eager hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Genesis chapter 6, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters of men were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also has flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. God saw that the wickedness of man was great, In the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, 
When we study here in Genesis 6, we see statements that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. They're just amazing statements. In verse 7, God says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and the fowls of the air. It repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 13, God said, the end of all flesh is come before me. He says there, I will destroy them with the earth. No other time has God destroyed all the wildlife and every person on the earth except for the eight men who survived. No other places in the Bible do you see God saying that he will destroy man from the face of the earth and that the end of all flesh has come before him. And he emphasizes the drastic part of this when he says, I will destroy man whom I have created. That's how much the emphasis is there. This is not just man, but this is man who God has created, who we put his heart into when he created him. So the question before us is, what happened to cause God to destroy man who he created? This verse says, All flesh, in verse 12 it says, all flesh had corrupted his way. But what did man do to corrupt his way so bad that God said, it's not repairable, it's irreparable. God was so frustrated and angry that he made this full destruction. So what did he do? What did man do to warrant this response from God where he says in verse 6 that he felt sorry that he had made man in the first place and it grieved him in his heart. What happened? How did man manage to make God so much wish that he hadn't made man in the first place? What happened? Well, what it says here is that there are four parts to what man did to bring God to this horrible conclusion that there's no hope. It's irreparable. First, in verse 5, It says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now that word great refers to quantity, the quantity. In other words, the meaning here is that there was like, wickedness was like a unanimous decision on the part of man. Everybody is in agreement with this. There was nobody on the earth except for Noah who was not going along with the crowd. There was no godly remnant. There was no small minority of people who said, no, we're going to go with God. So the first reason for the flood is that there was no remnant of godly persons on the earth. Second, in verse 5, we see the statement, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So turn, if you would, please, to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Here's an amazing statement here that God says. And it's really a message that God is giving to his prophet Ezekiel to tell to the Jewish people. And so God says, I really want the Jewish people to understand this. And so he says in Ezekiel 11:5, and the spirit of the Lord fell upon me, that's the prophet Ezekiel, and said unto me, speak. Speak what? Thus saith the Lord, thus have you said, O house of Israel, And here's the message. I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. I know the things that come into your mind. 
Every one of them. That was the message that God wanted his people to understand. It was very important to God that they understood that every thought, every thought that came into their mind, he saw every single one. He knows every single one. That's very important. That's very important for us to understand as well. That God monitors and sees the thoughts that come into our mind. That's why we need to be in a crying out mode. All the time, crying out. A state of mind we need to have where we're crying out to God. When an evil thought comes into our mind, that's the time we cry out to God and we say, shield of faith. That's the best response for an evil thought. Shield of faith and visualize all those pieces of the armor which are laid out for us in Ephesians 6. But in Ephesians 6.16, it says, and above all, in other words, above all the pieces of the armor here, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. An evil thought comes into our mind. It's like a fiery dart. And so we grab the shield of faith, and we so often are plagued with these fiery darts. That's why it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Last week, the Palestinians they fired this one rocket, and then another rocket, and the Iron Dome shoots that one down, and the Iron Dome shoots this one down, and all of a sudden we saw a salvo of six or eight or ten of them going off at the same time to overcome the Iron Dome. That's what the devil does with us. He sends those fiery darts, sometimes in salvos. So next time an evil thought comes, try that. Just say to yourself, shield of faith. And then if we've entertained an evil thought, let it stay in there a while, then we need to quickly say, Lord, cry out to him, please forgive me, cleanse my heart. Forgive me, that's what we've done to God. Cleanse my heart, that's what sin has done to us. Now, this time, though, in Genesis chapter 6, there was no using the shield of faith. There was no resistance. And so this is the second reason why the flood came, because there were no godly thoughts in anyone's mind. They were only evil continually. So third, from verses 11 and 12, we keep reading this word that comes up. Verse 11, earth was corrupt. Verse 12, God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Verse 12 again, all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's the same Hebrew word. It's used three times in there. The corrupt, it means that. It means to decay or to spoil or to putrefy is what it means. So the third reason for the flood was that there was no godly influence on the world. The world went its course of decay and corruption. That shows to us that the Lord Jesus Christ relies on us as his people to have a godly influence on the earth, a godly influence on the world, a decreasing of the putrefaction and the decay of the morality. Fourth, in verse 11, we see this word in verse 11 and verse 13, the earth was filled with violence twice, verse 11 and 13. That's the fourth reason why the flood came. Because there was this violence. And what is violence? Violence is an indication of a lack of restraint. 
Anger comes into the heart. No restraint, just violence goes forward. So the fourth reason why the flood came was no godly restraint on the earth. So what happened to make the earth so irreparable, so awful, so terrible, that God said, there's no hope for it. It has to be destroyed, and I'm sorry I made man. What happened? Number one, no godly remnant. Number two, no godly thoughts in people's minds. Number three, no godly influence. And number four, no godly restraint. Now, those are the changes that happened to the earth that made it to this state. So what happened was a flood of sin came, and then God brought a flood of judgment as a result. And it all started with Corrupted thoughts, and the corrupted thoughts then went on to make corrupted acts, the violence there. And the corrupted acts then went on to characterize people. So you have corrupted characters. And all this really is talking about a corruption of moral character. It's about morality. It's a corruption of moral character. That's what happened. That's why... It's so important for us to teach young children to shape their minds when they're young and their thoughts so that they'll have the godly thoughts and they'll have the godly acts and they'll have the godly influence in the world and the restraint in the society in which they live. That's why it's so, so important. I'm so happy we have the school down in Takati and God bless the Christian schools throughout the world where they have this wonderful effect of shaping godly thoughts. Now it says here that in verse 6, that it repented the Lord. It says it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now that's kind of an interesting statement, it repented the Lord, because it reminds us, or maybe it doesn't remind you, but I want you to turn to it anyway. In Numbers 23, 19, there is a statement there that speaks about God and repenting. If you turn to that, please, in Numbers 23, 19, keep in mind that in Genesis 6, 6, that we read, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now, when you turn there to Numbers 23, 19, you're looking at that, Numbers 23, 19, you read this statement. It says here that God is not a man. Now, there's no period there. There's a rest of a sentence, and it says, God is not a man that he should lie. Then it goes on. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? This verse, where it says here that God is not a man that he should not lie, and that the Son of Man should repent. Now, how do you reconcile that verse? It says God's not going to repent in Numbers 23. How do you reconcile that with Genesis 6, where it said God did repent? It's interesting. Because if God said that he did repent, that he made man, then how do you get the interpretation of Numbers 23, 19? You know, that's very important. I'll tell you why. Because this verse is used to say that God could not become a man. God could not become a man because it says God is not a man. That's what it says. That's the argument from others. But this verse also says that God does not repent. And in Genesis 6 says that God did repent. So this is where it's important to read the whole verse and all of its context to see the meaning. Because it's saying that God is not a man, that he should lie. 
So, in other words, it's not saying that God is not a man, period. It's saying that God is not a man who lies. Because man who lies would have to repent of his lies. So, God does not repent for the sin of telling lies because he's not a man that lies. So, the verse has to be read in its entirety in order to understand it. So, it reads, God is not a man who lies and God does not repent for telling lies. In other words, the verse is actually saying, God is not a sinful man. God is not a sinful man. It doesn't say that God is not a man, and it doesn't say that God does not repent, because Genesis 6, 6 showed us that God did repent. It tells us that God was not a sinful man. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free, signing up with your email, by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. end of all flesh is come before me. He says there, I will destroy them with the earth. Cleanse my heart. Forgive me. That's what we've done to God. Cleanse my heart. That's what sin has done to us. God is not a sinful man. Now, turn back to Genesis 6, and here we come to another amazing statement that is in the end of verse 6 where it's talking about God, and it says here, it grieved him at his heart. It grieved God at his heart? Grief, we're talking about grief of heart here. Grief of heart? I mean, we know what grief of heart is. We understand that. Grief of heart comes when we experience a personal loss, a great loss, like someone has died. And like a spouse has died, or a son has died, or a daughter has died. And that grief of heart is very well understood by us. It's terrible. And it goes through phases, the grief of heart does. First, there's the shock phase. That's the part when the news first comes of the death. And then that's the part where there's this overwhelming numbness, like you've been knocked out. That's the shock phase. And then the next in the grief of heart is the denial phase. That's the part where you say, it can't be, it's just a bad dream, I'm going to wake up from it soon. And sometimes there's the anger phase. I remember this when Mike Johnson spoke of the death of his sister, Faye Johnson, and he said that when he'd flown down from San Francisco and walked into the house where her corpse was, that he was wondering what he would feel, and he said, anger He was just angry with death itself for taking a 
his sister. Then there's the grief of heart brings the emptiness phase. The emptiness where there's overwhelming feeling of emptiness. You know, the hollow feeling in the stomach and the achy feeling in the chest. You know, this pain in the heart and this longingness because of the emptiness for the return. You know, if I sit here in front of this door, I know she'll walk through that door. You know, for a moment I thought I saw him sitting in the chair. I thought I heard him. I still smell him on the pillow. I can feel him. That's the emptiness, the emptiness phase. And then last, there's the sadness phase, just the grief, the overwhelming sadness, lots of tears. When I was in the summer of 1970 at Hilton Davis Chemical Company in Cincinnati, Ohio, I had been hired a few months before as a salaried non-union laboratory technician. That was my job. And so what happened? In the summer of 1970, the plant went on strike. And so everybody who was non-union, which was me and a lot of others, we had to work 14-hour days. And it was an ugly strike. And it was especially hard on one man, the plant manager. And the plant manager, he'd worked with those guys for 20 years. And they were like his family. And now they're cursing him from the sidewalk, harassing his family where they had to put police at his family's home. The same guys he went to the bar with every day for lunch. Now they hate him. And two months into the strike, and we got the news, he died of a massive heart attack. Why? Well, we all knew why he died. Grief of heart. So we know what grief of heart is. And grief of heart is what people go through. But God, with grief of heart, now that's strange. God would make himself vulnerable that he could be grieved in his heart? Like us? What man could do could make God grief, could grieve him at his heart? A pain in God's heart? We think of God as the creator king. He's the creator king. Well, we could visualize God with wrath, but not with pain in his heart. That's peculiar to us when we read this phrase. It's very peculiar because we don't think of God that way. We don't think of the creator king with grief in his heart, a pain in God's heart. I guess we don't know who the creator king is. That statement, it grieved him at his heart. It's just odd to us because we think of God the creator king, as far removed and isolated from man. That's how we think of him. We never imagined that little puny, insignificant man could cause the creator king to have pain in his heart. Can't imagine that. Pain in the creator's heart caused by man. Well, we think of God as great grandeur, stature, and power, and great authority. In every word, such authority that things and beings, they owe their existence to what Hebrews 1.3 calls the word of his power. The word of his power. We think of the word of his power. We've been studying that. All those let there be and there was verses in Genesis 1, Genesis 1.3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, Genesis 1.11. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind. 
And it says, and it was so. 114 of Genesis says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and your sun, moon, stars. And that happened. Genesis 1.20, God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that life, the fowl that flies above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Genesis 1.24, God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, and the cattle and creeping thing, beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so... Wonderful expository teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. You can do so at friendshipwithgod.org. If you're enjoying the Friendship with God radio program, we'd like you to support this Old Testament teaching radio Bible teaching program. And you can do so by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, Tom Cantor uh, teaches so well the Old Testament. He's just a master teacher of the Old Testament, the life of Abraham. We've been studying lately in the book of Genesis, chapter 23, and the Jewish people started with Abraham. Tom Cantor himself, our Bible teacher, is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants you and others to reach the lost Jewish people of this nation and this world. Now, to do so, he's established Israel Restoration Ministries. He's the founder of this Jewish Evangelism Outreach Ministry. We have full-time missionaries, part-time missionaries, and volunteers like you that help us in reaching the lost Jewish people in our cities and our neighborhoods. If you'd like to support Jewish evangelism or get Jewish evangelism materials to give to lost Jewish people that you know for free, you can call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800 800- 247-3051. You can also go online to israelrestoration.org. That's israelrestoration.org for free Jewish evangelism materials and information on how you can reach lost Jewish people, including how to receive the Jewish Messiah as your Savior. Find that plan of salvation online at israelrestoration.org or call us at 800 247 3051 800 247 3051